what I've said before is like, had business leaders, educational leaders, government leaders been paying attention back in 2021 when Sam was putting this out there, they wouldn't all be scrambling now to figure this out. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 49 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Kaput. Um, were you traveling this week, Mike? Oh, yeah, you did Chicago for me. I, I was, was in Chicago, yeah. yeah. So first of all, we are recording this on Friday, May 26th, because it's Memorial Day weekend in the United States. And so it's a three-day weekend. We usually record on Monday mornings. So Mike and I are kind of uh, recording this a little early. I was supposed to be in Chicago on Tuesday of this week, this past week, I guess, as you're listening to this. Um, but my son broke his leg <laughs> at school, running into a bench. So uh, I was getting a cast for my son on Tuesday instead of making a presentation in Chicago. So Mike, thank you for pinch hitting for me last minute. Of my course. son, thank you as well. So I could be <laughs> home to get him. He's, he's great, by the way. It's like everything's wonderful. He's fine. Great spirit. So, uh, uh, yeah, all, all good on that front. Um, but it is it is Friday, May 26th. And Mike and I were just saying before we jumped on here, like we, we've we joked a few times about we might need to do this twice a week. This is like nuts. <laughs> There's so many things to get to. And even as we were jumping on to record this we were like oh wait we got to add this and we should probably add this and we're like okay we just have to cut this off there's just there's too many things this week um so we're going to go through our our, our, our kind of standard format we thought about just like a, a rapid fire only uh episode today but we're gonna we're gonna stick with the format and do the three and and then there's there's quite a few rapid fires so we're gonna move pretty quickly through this um it is friday afternoon on the 26th and i, I would like to go, go golfing or something <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get to, but I, I would love to like just go enjoy the beautiful weather here in Cleveland, Ohio. All right. So episode 49 is brought to us by the Marketing AI Conference. I don't know the countdown. We have a countdown on the site, um, I think, but I believe we're about 10 weeks out, maybe nine weeks out for the conference. Um, tickets are continuing to sell fast. Uh, we'd love to have you include them with us. It's uh, just maycon.ai, M-A-I-C-O-N.ai. Um, there's going to be, I think we just have like 25 to 27 sessions. I, I forget the, the exact number. I haven't finalized what I'm going to be doing yet. I was originally going to do one on knowledge work. Like the opening keynote was going to be on knowledge work. Um, and then this week I started bouncing back to like a state of AI. Like, I think we're just kind of like, where are we at? What's going on? Which I'm sure the team would love. Cause I would probably build that deck like the week of the event, <laughs> just to make it like current. And then what do you, is your session finalized, Mike? What are you doing? Yeah, so I'll be doing a rundown of AI tools that you should be looking okay. at across. Always a fan favorite. Marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I think I'm going to do a state of AI because we'll have our, we have our um, state of marketing AI survey right now. If you're not, we haven't taken that yet. Check out marketinginstitute.com. We've got the survey in the field right now for the 2023 state of. So I may mix some of that in and then just do kind of here's where I think we are. We're going to have some really cool like 
futurist talks at the this uh, conference. There's going to be uh, uh, Gary Service from Insight Partners is going to run like a what's next panel with some amazing uh, entrepreneurs in the space. We're probably going to have a few different people from some major tech companies sharing kind of where they think the technology is going. So there's going to be a lot of like, here's what we should expect in the months ahead. And so I think I'm, I might just do like this level set. But anyway, so that is um, Maycon, again, Marketing AI Conference, July 26th to the 28th in Cleveland, M-A-I-C-O-N dot A-I. And with that, Mike, I will turn it over to you to guide us through today. Awesome. Well, Paul, like you mentioned, we have a ton to talk about. Um, tons of huge announcements in the last handful of days since we recorded our Monday podcast. Um, first up is that Google has introduced AI-powered advertising. So they just announced brand new AI features within Google Ads. So for one, Google Ads will now just summarize your landing page for you then generate relevant and effective keywords, headlines, descriptions, images, and all the other assets of a campaign. You can also use AI to chat with the Google Ads platform, essentially using a conversational AI interface, to ask it for ideas on how to improve your campaign. Google also mentioned they are experimenting with how ads could be displayed in the new what they're calling search generative experience sge which is getting a lot of conversation and uh, scrutiny in seo circles so this is the new ai powered conversational search that was announced earlier this month at google's io conference which we talked about on a previous episode this includes experimenting with how search and shopping ads are directly integrated into search results. And as it develops all of these features, Google mentioned that it is following its documented set of AI principles to try and develop this all responsibly as possible. Now, Paul, what struck you about this announcement? Obviously, we're seeing some big changes coming to Google search and ads. At a macro level, just the importance of marketing and advertising professionals to be invested in staying up to date on AI and the latest capabilities, because it's going to affect services for brand marketers, advertisers. It's going to affect how you do your job. Um, I mean, just like there was an example they gave in the post. They said, last year, we started rolling out automatically created assets for search ads, which use content from your landing pages and existing ads to generate headlines and descriptions. Um, but soon they're going to start creating and adapting those based on the context of a query. For example, with a search for skincare for dry, sensitive skin, AI can use content from your landing page and existing ads to create a new headline. So basically dynamically generating the headlines that aligns even more closely with the query, such as soothe your dry, sensitive skin. This helps you improve ad relevance while staying true to your brand. So there's this idea of like total real-time automated creative, um, which again, there's been elements of this emerging in the last couple of years, but to know that they're just going to basically go all in on this, it, you know, as an advertising professional, you, you start to say, okay, well, what does this mean? Like how, how much is our work going to evolve? What are we going to do? What is the machine going to do? Kind of that whole human to machine scale we've talked about before. You could start to look at advertising and say, okay, here's the 25 tactical things we do to run an ad campaign and start to kind of project out three months, six months, 12 months from now, which of these tactical things is the machine just going to do for us? Mm. And what does that mean to our role and responsibilities? 
And then the couple that jumped out to me was when they were talking about, you, you'd mentioned like the future of search and how they're dynamically generating, you know, the responses right within the search results pages. What seems clear is they have no idea how the ads are going to play in this. So it said like, as the future of search evolves, the future of advertising will evolve too, bringing more opportunities to grow your business and showcase your brand. But they talk about how they're going to kind of experiment with ads above and below and sometimes in. And I think it's just, just demonstrating that Google is all in. They are going to be rolling so many products out, so many capabilities built in, and it's just going to really rapidly evolve the role and and jobs of marketing and advertising professionals. Yeah, it strikes me that if you are working either internally with SEO talent or say an agency or a consultant helping you, they really should be on top of some of these changes moving forward. Totally. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, you know, we've said it from an investor perspective, if you're investing in SaaS companies, make sure they have people who are, you know, understand AI and are building in the product roadmap. And the same goes true for your agencies or outside consultants. If you're using uh, professionals to assist you in your SEO or your advertising, you know, ask them what they're doing with AI. How are they keeping up on the latest trends? How's it affecting their workflows? Like, you don't don't be shy about it like you, you need to be working with people who are figuring this stuff out for you that's what you're paying them for and yeah it might affect their billing rates and you know the services the scope of your services but you got to have those conversations now you don't you don't want to be waiting around for six months and then realizing that your ad agency doesn't know what they're doing uh, when it comes to this stuff so yeah i think it's just got a good overview of where we're at and the importance of the people you're relying to do this work for you staying on top of these trends. So to kind of give the audience a sense of how much happened in the last few days, Microsoft has also rolled out a ton of different AI related updates. So a lot of these center around what they call co-pilots. So a couple of years ago, Microsoft rolled out this first idea of an AI co-pilot or basically an assistant to make knowledge workers more productive. So the co-pilot that they released then paired with human programmers using GitHub, which Microsoft owns, to assist you in writing code. Now, in 2023, Microsoft has introduced all these other co-pilots across their core products and services. So this includes things like AI-powered chat in Bing, Microsoft 360 co-pilot. This is a huge one where AI is baked right into things like Word and Excel. We've talked about that one before, same as Google yes. Workspace, which is going to be fused right in. Yeah. Huge. And that's one too, where when you see that video of it working, we use it in talks a lot because it's so apparent how dramatically it changes business productivity workflows. And um, they've also released some co-pilots around things like their Microsoft Dynamics and Microsoft Security products. So what's big here though, is that just now they have announced they're going to release Windows Copilot. So this will start rolling out in June in Windows 11. And Microsoft calls it, quote, the first PC platform to announce centralized AI assistance to help people easily take action and get things done. So this is basically an AI assistant that stays open across your apps, programs, and all your Windows as you're using the OS. And it basically acts as an AI assistant that does everything you could possibly imagine from finding documents to answering questions to summarizing content. So that's a huge development for anyone using the newest version of Windows. And what's I wonder if Apple's going to do something like that 
like this, I wouldn't be surprised if this summer if Apple doesn't infuse something into like iOS and OS systems. And I'm just thinking out loud here, but like that seems like a natural play if you're going to do that with Windows. I mean, Apple has so many AI features that don't get right. talked about because they don't tout them. Um, but I wonder if we wouldn't see something like this come out from them as well. I mean, given the attention and buzz this is getting, it's such a clear differentiation. Yeah. I would have to imagine that they've got something planned or at least maybe different messaging around those features. Yep. So what's really interesting here as well is that Microsoft also announced it is expanding its plugin ecosystem. So it's basically adopting an open plugin standard. So developers can actually now use a single platform to build plugins for ChatGPT, Bing, Microsoft 365 Copilot, Windows Copilot, and all the others. And this is going to have a huge effect on the plugin ecosystem for both OpenAI and Microsoft. And Microsoft also announced that Bing is now the default search function within ChatGPT. So if you actually have ChatGPT+, Plus, you can see it right there. It says search with Bing when you use ChatGPT with the internet. How significant do you see these announcements being? I mean, the whole premise of the co-pilot uh, is, is a huge deal because I think they just see it as fundamental to computing moving forward like and to knowledge work and productivity. So I watched excerpts of Satya's talks. This was all at the Microsoft Build Conference. And he mentioned there was like 50 plus product announcements. He made a big deal, obviously, about co-pilot and Windows. Um, but he also talked about the co-pilot stack so that everyone can build their own co-pilots. So you're kind of enabling this, you know, developer community to just start building. He got into the Azure AI studio, which is going to help developers build intelligent apps and co-pilots. So again, like this explosion of AI assistance, I think is what this is all leading to. So whether here we talk about Replit uh, is one of the billion dollar plus companies we mentioned last week in the generative AI unicorns. Um, so Replit, same idea. They're just trying to they want like a billion developers. They want everybody to be able to build. And so I think part of this is just looking to this near future where almost anyone is going to be able to build intelligent assistance for whatever you can imagine. And it may come to a, a day in the not too distant future where you don't even need developers to do that. Like the average business person may be able to just with your words, build apps to do things, just say what you want to have it happen and have it do it. Um, so I just think back again about like as a marketer, business, you know, person, entrepreneur, how many times I've been in like Excel or Google Sheets and I have no idea what formula to run to get the thing I want out of it. And you're just, you're Googling like how to, what is the, you know, the script for this or how do I do this? Yeah. And, you know, or if you're watching YouTube and now you're just gonna be able to say it, like just, I, I need a visualization that shows this and like, boom, there's your visualization or I need to figure out. You know, if there's any anomalies in this data set from the customer churn, like what's, and just like, imagine it just delivering insights like right away. And then like, do you want to also learn this and this and just everywhere you experience productivity and, and knowledge work to be able to have that. That's what this is implying to me is we're just heading to this future. Where we're going to be able to build these apps on the fly and there's going to be AI assistance for everything. He also talked about uh, Microsoft Fabric is a, a new unified data analytics platform mm -hmm. where everything's stored in a data lake. And then you can use that to train AI models and build visualizations. Um, but then the thing he said at kind of the end of the excerpt I was watching, and again, he's talking to all the developers at this Microsoft Build Conference. 
He said that, uh, that, that increasing prosperity and the standard of living going up everywhere, it's why we build and innovate. So they're thinking of these capabilities, these advancements, enabling the increased, uh, increasing of prosperity and the standard of living. Like that's how they kind of see their mission in a way. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those that because it was a developer conference is a bit under the radar to the average mm -hmm. business person or marketer, but seems like the foundation of some really important changes uh, in direction for Microsoft and some things that are probably going to trickle down pretty quickly into the business world where you're going to have all kinds of crazy capabilities that you didn't previously have. Yeah, the non-developer angle, I think, is worth hammering home for the audience because if you are someone that runs or leads an organization, very quickly, if you don't have it already, I mean, the lowest level employee using this software every day will not only have access to AI co-pilots, but essentially be expected to use them effectively. It would be laughable to have access to these and not be using them. So every single employee is going to need to fundamentally understand what this technology is capable of. So next up, we have some very encouraging action that we are seeing from schools and cities when it comes to generative, generative AI. Um, according to a report from Wired, magazine, New York City schools announced that they are about to reverse their ban on ChatGPT and generative AI tools, which they had previously enacted fearing this technology. And they actually said that, quote, we are doing this because the reality that our students are participating in and will work in a world where understanding generative AI is crucial. Now, at the same time, we saw a really interesting memo come out of the city of Boston, uh, the city's chief information officer actually sent guidelines to every city official, encouraging them to start using generative AI and to start understanding its potential. And the city also turned on Google Bard as part of the Google workspace tools that they already pay for and have everyone onboarded to. This is being termed kind of a, quote, responsible experimentation approach. And it is, as far as we can tell, the first um, municipal policy of its kind in the U.S. So, Paul, I know this grabbed your attention and you had posted on LinkedIn about it. Can you give us a little more context here about why this is important? I mean, I just kudos to the city of Boston. And I don't know if it's their communication. I don't know who's like spiriting this, if it is the chief information officer, it's their communications team or mayor. I, I don't know. but. Um, it's just really well done. And as a communications professional, like kind of a, by trade, just really impressive the way they rolled this out. And it's a really good example of what we've been teaching and, and telling people is like, you have to have generative AI policies. And so I just, I loved their example. And you could, in the Wired article, there was a link to go download not only their policies, but the email that was sent to, uh, to the staff. And so I just want to call attention to a couple of things. So the email just says City of Boston guidelines for use of AI. Google Bard now available for use. Starts off with Happy AI Day. I did find myself wondering if they used GPT-4 to write some of this because it's actually like really, really clever. Um, but it presents it as interim guidelines. It gets into why they're doing it. Uh, it gets into what is generative AI. Um, so it says like over the past several weeks, we've seen a publicly available release of new tools termed generative AI. It goes into kind of what they are. For instance, we use them for spam detection, autocomplete, and Google Translate. It can also produce writing, videos, audio. 
Um, they're evolving rapidly. So it's like very educational. And then it gets into why we've created guidelines. And I like, they say, we want to encourage people to test and learn how these tools work while minimizing the risks. And then it underlined in bold, the city knows that our workforce is the most valuable asset we have as part of our work. We are not, again, all bold. We are not planning to replace a broad part of our workforce with AI, uh, but we think there's an opportunity to empower our workforce to improve the quality and efficiency of our work and even embrace possibilities that extend beyond our current capabilities. Um, we don't expect any imminent impacts throughout the city. And then it goes into the guidelines. And again, now imagine like from a corporate perspective, think about a brand perspective, like you could take this exact approach and like do this with your organization. Um, again, all bold and underlined. Generative AI is a tool. We are responsible for the outcomes of our tools. For example, if autocorrect unintentionally changes a word, changing the meaning of something we write, we are still responsible for the text. Technology enables our work. It does not excuse our judgment or our accountability. I just love that. Like, I mean, it's, it's again, it's so well done. Someone did their homework and really thought this through. Um, they give three quick tips, like fact check and review all content generated by, by AI, especially if it's going to be used in public communication and decision-making, which again, we've talked about before, like the error, the risk of error and the impact that that risk, that error could occur. So this is saying like, if it's really important stuff, you cannot make mistakes. They want people to disclose they've used AI to generate content and not to share sensitive or private information. And then they lead into here's next steps. We have a Slack channel with a using AI hashtag. They have a training event coming up for their internal team that you can register for. And then you can go download the guidelines, which is like eight pages. It's got purpose. It's got sample use cases, principle. I mean, it's just, just brilliantly done. So just kudos to the communications department, city of Boston. Uh, it's a great precedent for what other cities should be doing. And it's, I think, a really good example of what brands should be doing. So yeah, I just think it's great. Go, go read the article, click on the example. There's a, a PDFs of these documents available publicly and um, yeah, use it to inspire action in your own company. I mean, it's the kind of, it's a great example of what can be done pretty quickly. That's awesome. And yeah, we'll also drop in the show notes. We should mention that we have kind of a responsible AI v1 policy on our website that anyone is also free to use uh, it's short and like we said first draft but useful under a creative commons license if you'd like to take some language from that so next up we had a really cool article from andreessen horowitz which is one of the top venture capital firms in the world where they released kind of what they're calling quote ai canon which is a, an extensive list of resources that step-by-step step can take you through all the important issues to understand in artificial intelligence. So they, these are papers, blog posts, courses, and guides that they say have had an outsized impact on the field over the past several years. Now, some of these, I think, get pretty technical, but there's very few places that are a better place to start. Um, then some of the resources they've provided here. I've, you know, I've bookmarked a lot of these on this list already, Paul. Um, what did you think of the list? Was there anything missing here? Wasn't any any like marketing specific stuff? Mm -hmm. uh, any anything? <laughs> Maybe some marketing AI institute stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I thought overall I'm with you. I think there's a lot of really technical stuff here, but there's also a lot of resources that are just very 
foundational to understanding what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, great work by the team there of curating a a really solid list. I know they said this is like going to be a living list. And we've done this, like we did a beginner's guide to AI a few years back um, that we've got on our radar to update. If anybody's found it, we've actually took it out of the navigation so people would stop finding it, but people still get it every day. Um, so we, you know, it, it's hard to keep a list like that active, like the yeah. stuff moves so quickly. So, I mean, our podcast has really become kind of our dynamic way, I guess, of what what's the latest and most interesting but I do think this is this sort of stuff is great. And, you know, again, kudos to their team for pulling together a really valuable resource. And we just wanted to make sure people were aware it was out there and could go check it out. Um, but yeah, re- really good stuff. Not You're not going to, again, if you're new to AI and just trying to figure this stuff out, 80%, 90% of this is going to be a little too technical or dense for, for what you need right now. Um, but you can kind of handpick some stuff that's going to be really helpful. Yeah, I definitely, I haven't read every single resource here, but it looks like if you scroll down in the link we'll provide in the show notes to market analysis, if you're more of kind of a a technical like layman with this stuff, this might be a place to start understanding the bigger picture of the AI market landscape as, you know, a business leader or entrepreneur or investor. Um, So I would definitely encourage people. I don't know if you have to go through every single one of these in order. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, because those are, I believe those are like editorials from their Maybe, team yeah. and they're, if anybody listened to, I don't know, it was, a pod, it was an episode somewhere in the thirties, I think, where we actually broke down the generative AI tech stack into foundational models and then the language models and then the application layer that was from uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Like that, yeah. that was an analysis of something they had written and their team does a great job of like approachable writing, non-technical stuff. So yeah, I agree. The market analysis would be an interesting place to jump to. So another big publication from kind of a major player in the space, DeepMind, which is now part of Google and forms kind of the backbone of their AI efforts. They actually released uh, some research about an early warning system for novel AI risks. So basically, they have researchers that proposed a new framework for evaluating general purpose AI models against what they call novel threats. So basically, the thesis is, as they put it, if we want to be responsibly building artificial intelligence, we have to identify new capabilities and novel risks in AI systems as early as possible. And DeepMind mentions that, you know, AI researchers already use a ton of different evaluation benchmarks to figure out like what kind of unwanted behavior could result from an AI system. So think think about things like inaccuracies, biased decision making, or using copyrighted content. Um, They say now as the AI community builds and deploys increasingly powerful artificial intelligence, we must expand the evaluation portfolio to include the possibility of what they would call extreme risks from general purpose AI models that have strong skills in manipulation, deception, cyber offense, or other dangerous capabilities. So they have published a paper that introduces a framework to evaluate those types of threats. And a lot of Big universities, including University of Cambridge, University of Oxford, University of Toronto, as well as companies like OpenAI and Anthropic are involved in this research. So, Paul, given that our whole 
last podcast episode was about government regulation and worries about AI risks. It seems like perhaps at least from DeepMind's focus, there's a, a renewed interest around regulating these systems safely. Yeah, they. I mean, DeepMind's always been working on this stuff. All 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 these research labs have known these risks exist and have been working for it. I, I think you might just start seeing more and more of this research coming out because it, it I think there's a sense of urgency within these research labs that they think a lot of these threats are near term. So, you know, the conducting of offensive cyber operations, deceiving humans and dialogue, manipulating humans to carry out harmful actions, design or acquire weapons. Like these are the kinds of things that aren't fun to talk about, but these are the things people get paid a lot of money to be thinking about every day and trying to solve for. Um, not the jobs a lot of us would probably want, but, you know, I don't know how they sleep at night, honestly, when they have to sit there and think about all these things all day long, but, uh, I'm glad that they're there thinking about them for the rest of us. So it does just to me demonstrate the importance of this kind of research, because as you highlighted, and we talked about last week, we, we can't wait for the government to do this. So just the fact that these different organizations are working together on this kind of research and then sharing what they're learning and their frameworks. And they even say, I think, in the conclusion of that blog post that they hope others working in AI and sectors impacted by this tech will come together to create approaches and standards for safely developing and deploying AI for the benefit of all. I actually was listening to a podcast um, this week with uh, the CTO of Microsoft, and he was saying something similar, like they're working on all these safety things internally. But he said, like, listen, if someone else comes up with a better framework, we will happily jump to that like we we need to just solve how to build these advanced ai systems safely and each lab is kind of doing their own work but at some point we just need some consistent standards that they all agree on and it i think that it's to the point whether it's being forced by the government or whether they just all agree it's in their best interest they'll find ways to collaborate even though they're competitors so i could see like microsoft i mean they're all sitting in the same room having these conversations microsoft google deep mind uh, open AI, Anthropic, like they're competing, but at the end of the day, they all need to find standards to protect um, so they can all keep building. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point all these tech companies actually find a way to develop some industry standards around safety and alignment. So this effort has been more around what we might call, you know, serious, but very real present dangers in AI today, things these systems can already do that are harmful, whereas OpenAI actually just published what they're calling thoughts on the governance of superintelligence. So this is immediately notable because the bylines on the post are the three main people at OpenAI. The co-founders. Craig Brockman and Ilya Sutskever, I believe is how you pronounce his name. They write that now is a good time to start thinking about the governance of super intelligence, which they define as future AI systems dramatically more capable than even AGI, artificial general intelligence. They say given the picture as we see it now, it's conceivable that within the next 10 years, AI systems will exceed expert skill level in most domains and carry out as much productive activity as one of today's largest corporations. So they're basically saying that there's a lot of upside and a lot of downside to such a scenario occurring. And they say, quote, given the possibility of existential risk, we can't just be reactive. 
Nuclear energy is a commonly used historical example of a technology with this property. So basically, they are saying we need to start thinking about treating this technology like the very um, positive and negative uh, technology that it is. So they put forth three different principles to begin thinking about. They don't go too into depth on how this would actually work. But they say, first, we need some degree of coordination among the leading development efforts to ensure that the development of superintelligence occurs in a manner that allows us to both maintain safety and help smooth integration of these systems with society. Second, we are likely to eventually need something like an IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, for superintelligence efforts. So basically, international bodies regulating the use of these technologies. Third, we need the technical capability to make superintelligence safe. This is an open research question that we and others are putting a lot of effort into. Now, Paul, this is, I'm sure to some people, going to sound like crazy science fiction, but this is not the first time they've talked about this. It sounds like OpenAI believes superintelligence in the way they've outlined it is a very, very real possibility. Yeah. I mean, my general sense is a lot of AI researchers assume it's the inevitable outcome when it occurs is widely disagreed upon. When I see this, you know, with the thing we've learned with Sam and with open eyes, there's usually reasons behind when they release things. Like there's something else behind it. And so I've often referenced, um, his Moore's law for everything blog post from 2021 where he warned of the coming change of AI, you know, coming after thinking, create creativity, understanding, reasoning. And what I've said before is like, had business leaders, educational leaders, government leaders been paying attention back in 2021 when Sam was putting this out there, they wouldn't all be scrambling now to figure this out. And so while AGI and superintelligence do seem a little bit out there and a little kind of long-termist as we, you know, talked about last week, the, you know, the asteroid coming and destroying humanity. And that's kind of what this is. Um, I, I, I gotta guess there's a reason why they're doing it. And, um, it usually with them seems to be, they think something is becoming higher likelihood of occurring. Doesn't mean that they think it's imminent in two years and therefore they need to get this out now. But usually when they start seeing a clear path to something where they don't see any more technical barriers, because they can keep in mind what they're doing is they're building this tech and then they're playing out models of how intelligent it's going to get. Mm. They kind of scale this technology out and they know if we give it this much more data and this much more compute and we run these models for this amount of time, it's going to kind of follow this level of intelligence. And I've heard Sam say in multiple interviews, they've been somewhat surprised how accurately they're able to predict the level of intelligence these models will achieve based on these factors. And so if they're looking out and saying, okay, well, fast forward five, five years from now, computer chips are going to be this fast. We're going to have this much data. We'll be multimodal. So now we can train on all these things. And they're looking out and saying, there are no technical barriers to super intelligence. This is my guess. Again, I, I don't know this for a fact. I haven't heard them give this interview, but when you connect the dots of what they've previously said, my assumption is they're not seeing a barrier to achieving it. And if that's true, and it, even if it's seven to 10 years out, they, they will 
start preparing society for like, this is what we're going to, we think is going to occur. And we're going to have to start working on these problems. So I, I wouldn't start panicking. I don't, I don't think this is like, oh my gosh, we're going to just like, you know, not need humans two years from now. But I would pay attention to what they have to say. And if it's a topic that's interesting to you, I would go read Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom. So I have to dust it off of my shelf. It's been a few years since I read it. But the um, the AI research community reads that stuff. And I think a lot of them believe that stuff. So, yeah, if it's an interesting topic to you and you want to think about the bigger picture stuff and try and think five, ten years down the road, and you know, pull on that thread. <laughs> Go read Super Intelligence. Yeah, and we should also mention, you know, our last podcast episode was all about congressional hearings around the potential AI safety and regulation issues, and we're now seeing the White House taking new steps to advance responsible AI in the wake of that hearing and some other meetings that we talked about in the last episode that are happening on Capitol Hill. Um, the Biden administration actually announced uh, several new efforts that are going to advance research, development, and deployment of responsible AI. So one of these announcements is an updated roadmap to focus federal investments in AI research and development. So the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy is releasing a national AI R&D strategic plan, which is a document that has been updated, they say, since uh, for the first time since 2019. Basically, this is a roadmap that outlines priorities and goals for federal investments in AI R&D. There's also a new request coming out for public input on critical AI issues. So they're issuing what they say, uh, what's called a request for information, an RFI, to seek input on national priorities to mitigate AI risks, protect individual citizens, and make sure that AI is used to improve lives, not destroy any parts of society or livelihoods. There's also a new report on the risks and opportunities of AI in education coming out. That's coming out through the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Educational Technology. So this report is going to summarize the risks and opportunities that there are related to AI in teaching, learning, research, and assessment. And last but not least, the White House is also hosting a listening session with workers to get firsthand knowledge of how employers are using automated and AI technologies for things like surveillance, monitoring, evaluation, and management. So, Paul, how does this fit into some of the action we talked about uh, this past week with regulations and hearings? Certainly an increased velocity of activity from the White House, which I I guess is good. Um you know, for a long time, I think people were wondering what they were doing with the Bill of Rights last year and and then not much else. But there certainly seems to be a lot going on. I mean, like you said, we dedicated the whole episode last week and, you know, they got, uh, you know, a lot of this is just fact sheets and press releases, but there's movement. And I think overall, that's a positive thing. And it, it seems like this is going to become a, a really key issue moving forward. Like we said last week, it, I think part of this is figuring out what the play is publicly for the election cycle. Hmm. But I also think the current administration, uh, you know, has made this a, a, a marquee thing that they're going to work on. So, and my guess is there's probably some really big things being worked on that we're not hearing about yet. Um, and 
you know, I think maybe that, that sort of stuff starts to come out in the next six to 12 months too. Yeah. Cause they, they're not winning elections announcing this stuff. Like I, my guess is they're, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not saying like moonshot kind of stuff, like we're going to go to the moon in, in 10 years or in the decade, but I wouldn't be surprised that they took a big swing at something much more significant related to AI, um, and us interests. Um, I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm thinking out loud here, but I don't, I don't think this is all enough. I, I think they would, they're going to make some major play, um, into AI. Yeah. And it seems like it comes at a good time because we're seeing an increase in high profile incidents of what can go wrong with artificial intelligence. And a really, really stark one that happened this past week was a fake image, almost certainly created in part by artificial intelligence, was widely circulated on Twitter that purported to show an explosion near the Pentagon. And it was shared by multiple verified Twitter accounts on Monday. Which actually what is a verified Twitter account these days? Is that right. is that yeah. still a blue check or is it a gold check or I don't know? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think part of the, that's the problem. problem. <laughs> so these verified accounts, some of which were even like mimicking news outlets. So this appeared to be intentional disinformation, actually circulated this photo of the Pentagon, like on fire, there an explosion was around it, as well as one of the White House. And it caused a very brief major dip in the stock market. Um, and one of these accounts was falsely claiming that the tweet was from Bloomberg News. So very quickly, people caught on that this was not real. We wiped off some uh, billions of dollars off the stock market, which did recover, but still a really stark reminder of what's possible with AI generated content and disinformation. And, you know, some commentators out there were like, look, we caught this one fast, which is great, but start playing out what this could mean moving forward. They give examples of like, what if this was less well-known of a place on earth that you couldn't just look out the window and say, okay, this is not on fire at the moment. Or what if this happens as polls close on election day with some type of made up report of an attack on a building, a candidate, the president, et cetera. So one of the commentators out there, a researcher in cybersecurity said, look, we're unprepared. Now, Paul, we've talked a bit about this um, last several episodes. What did you make of this? I mean, it's just going to keep happening. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. Like there, it's so apparent that we need ways to verify content. Um, we're not going to solve social media. I know Facebook got it down faster than Twitter did. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't expect anything more from Twitter these days. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the solutions are going to be for synthetic content. And I know that Google and Microsoft and others are working on ways to solve for this. But um, I just think this is the reality that we're going to be in for the foreseeable future is synthetic content is going to spread quickly and markets are going to react. And um, I'm not I'm not sure who has an answer for this. And so I think that Again, it goes back to what we try and do is just education that you can't trust anything like you just don't know what's real. And you really have to have your verified sources of like source of truth so that we can collectively just find the places we trust to provide information. 
And unfortunately, so many people get their news now from social media that I, I just don't know how to fix this one. So, <laughs> you know, if I, I went through a few weeks ago, my things I'm excited about. This is at the top of my list of things I am not excited about and that I don't have much hope for. So I wish I had a better answer on a Friday afternoon, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to fix this one. Well, the good news is we are ending our set of topics here with good news. So we've got a number of other <laughs> updates that are a little more positive here and interesting. One of them is that researchers at Meta just announced this, what they call the Massively Multilingual Speech Project, MMS. And basically, in the past, we have only really been able, from a research perspective, to cover about a 100 different languages on the planet with speech recognition models. So having enough data training and compute to be able to understand about a hundred or so major languages. Now, the problem here is that there's 7,000 plus known languages spoken on the planet, and nearly half of those are in danger of disappearing during our lifetime. Now, as part of this project, however, meta researchers uh, did some pioneering work that actually was able to provide labeled data that the machine can learn from for 10x the amount of languages that we're able to do today. So about 1,100 languages, they can now start using sophisticated speech recognition technology to both promote and preserve these languages. Now, it'll, it's, uh, you know, we'll see exactly how that is uh, used, if at all, in Meta's products. But the, from a research perspective, this code and the models that they have discovered are being shared with the research community so people can now build on their work. Paul, this was a pretty stunning development that seemed to kind of fly a little under the radar. Yeah, I mean, I think the main takeaways here for me, again, is Meta, uh, again, continues to lead the way from an open source standpoint of, you know, sharing what they're researching and enabling others in the research community to build on their work. So, Shout out to Meta for doing that and Jan LeCun for leading that charge there. And I know they've been working on, you know, expanding language understanding or, you know, across other languages for years. And uh, this just seems like the latest kind of breakthrough for them. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we talk about the negative stuff. This is AI for good. This is yep. one of the, the positives that it can bring. And, uh, you know, it's cool to be able to put a spotlight on that stuff. So a couple of really big funding announcements all hit at once in the last few days. So we've talked a lot about Anthropic, um, a major player in AI that basically is building uh, Claude, an AI assistant model that can perform a wide variety of conversational and text processing tasks. And Anthropic just raised $450 million in a Series C funding round. Um, they have previously raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So this ups the war chest that they have, as they have said in multiple places online that they're aiming to compete with some of OpenAI's models and build a dramatically more powerful foundational model for, in the world of AI. So Paul, this is obviously a huge deal. It's a ton of money. Yeah, I wish I could test it. Like Claude, I, do you have access yet? Because you have to request no. access. I feel no, like I requested no, like three weeks ago. I was I went to test it last week and said it to do to test, and I was like, wait a second, I don't think I have access yet. And I'm like checking Gmail. Like, did I do it through my personal mail? Did I do it through my work mail? 
I don't think I've, I've got access yet. So if anybody from Anthropic like listens, I would love to try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm fascinated to try theirs because they've got the 75,000 token or word context window basically you could use. Yeah. I've heard some great things about it. They're obviously a major player. They're sitting in all these major meetings with OpenAI and Google and Microsoft. So yeah, I don't know, keep an eye on them. We knew they raised a bunch of money because uh, Salesforce sort of let it out that it was one of their first four investments from their generative AI fund. Um, but official, apparently it's official now. So yeah, bunch of money. Keep an eye yeah, on. Also worth noting that you know everyone obviously is talking about building responsible AI, but pretty early on they've they've been leading to do what they call developing helpful, harmless, and honest AI systems. And we talked last week about their constitutional AI framework. So they've been leading from the front, it seems, quite a bit when it comes to responsible AI development since day one. All right, another positive sci-fi development here. We are seeing a yes, it's positive. I don't know. What well, this yeah, <laughs> this I, is my nightmare. Encouraging, hopefully, maybe I don't know. <laughs> um, there is a company that's gotten a lot of press called Figure, and they build humanoid robots. They're aiming to essentially have pair AI with physical robotics in order to have humanoid robots that can transform the way we work and assist human beings. And they just raised a $70 million Series A uh, led by a number of notable investors. And they claim they're going to use that money to accelerate robot development, fund the manufacturing of their first line of robots, design an end-to-end -end AI data engine, and then drive commercial progress of this technology. I mean, looking at some of the videos they've put out, Paul, I mean, this does seem very sci-fi. I guess it could be positive, could be scary, <laughs> depending I don't know on the perspective. I mean, it, I don't know if there's like creepy as like the Optimus ones from Tesla a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. Um, I, I mean, my first reaction was uh, 70 doesn't seem like very much considering how much money is getting thrown at generative AI companies. And yeah. this is like actually has a hardware component and a manufacturing component. 70 doesn't seem like it'll go very far. I know they hadn't taken money. I think the founder was funding it, a lot of it himself, at least, you know, from a public perspective, that's what they were saying. So, yeah, I mean, company to keep an eye on. I think we're probably still, you know, three, five, seven, ten 10 years away from, you know, walking next to a humanoid robot, you know, in a, in a store um, or having one come into your home or something, but it's a space we're paying attention to. And they're definitely one of the companies along with Amazon and Tesla, you know, kind of the three main ones that I'm, I'm aware of and focused on. Um, yeah, just I, I 70 doesn't seem like it would go very far for building robots, but uh, interesting to note regardless. So another funding announcement, Sam Altman, who is OpenAI's chief executive officer, has a startup called WorldCoin that has raised $115 million in a Series C funding round. And this is basically a cryptocurrency project. And WorldCoin aims to distribute a crypto token to people for being a unique individual. So the project uses a device to scan the irises in your eyes to confirm your identity. And then this is used to prove you are who you say you are. We've talked about maybe the need for some type of validation online. This seems certainly like one way to do it. I don't know if it's creepy or innovative or both. What are, what are your thoughts on this company? It's obviously significant 
given Altman's involvement and the amount of money that is being raised for this is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a main topic on WorldCoin at some point. I have done some preliminary research into it. There's a few oddities about this company that make me want to like really dive in. Um, I, I would definitely pay attention. I, I don't think you're going to hear like major breakthrough news about WorldCoin in the near future, but I think it's a it's probably going to end up being a important player in everything moving forward at some point, whether it's through online identity verification. There are certainly uh, risks associated with having your irises scanned and stored yeah. in a database. I think Edward Snowden tweeted like early on about this company, like this is a horrible idea to have that data stored somewhere. I think there is some play related to universal basic income here and and potentially like the distribution of the the massive profits profits that could be generated from AGI companies being funneled through like a world coin and then distributed to society. Like I think there's I think there's a reason Sam doesn't take a salary from OpenAI and doesn't have any equity in OpenAI. And I don't think it's because he doesn't end up profiting from all of this in some other capacity. And I think WorldCoin is a part of that equation. Hmm. I just don't know. I haven't connected all the dots yet or like read something of someone who has, but I'm sure there's a great like investigative article out there that sort of explains all this. Um, But yeah, I would just pay attention to it. It's a really interesting potential organization that I don't know much about. I don't think very many people know much about yeah, it even seems like from some of the more extensive reports we found that's still very, very thin on what's actually going on. And it's been around for a few years in some format. So Yeah. And oh, this isn't in our rapid fire, but speaking of like things that are going on under the radar, Neuralink got FDA approval to do human testing yeah. this week. So if you if you uh if you worry about Elon Musk and and running Twitter, uh in the not too distant future, his other one of his other like six companies is going to be embedding lace into your brain and um, downloading thoughts. So we'll talk about Neuralink another time. Yeah, for <laughs> but sure. they were also in the news this week. <laughs> and I think you know it, we would both admit that if several years ago we were talking about this, it'd be much more hypothetical. But some of the yeah. sci-fi scenarios have become much more likely to be real in our near future than say they were a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, huge announcement. NVIDIA is having a very good week because they were forecast by Wall Street analysts to do about $7 billion in sales in Q2. And they blew that number out of the water and forecast it'd be actually $11 billion, um, largely due to their dominance in GPU chips, which are critical to AI, specifically generative AI, their stock had already doubled this year before this announcement. I think in the last five days as of recording, it is up 25%. And a lot of that is like a very straight line up the moment that they announced this news. They are on track potentially to become a trillion dollar company. I believe some of the numbers I saw as of today, and these could change. They're only about 20% less valued than Amazon right now. So they're just like, NVIDIA is on everyone's mind. Their dominance in the chip world, especially compared to people like Intel who have fallen behind recently is crazy, especially as we're trying to, uh, at least in the US, source chips from places that are not necessarily uh, fraught geopolitical fault lines. Um, 
What did you make of this? This was, I, I don't know if I've seen, this is one of the bigger ones when it comes to beating earnings that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, they just destroyed <laughs> it and then they guided way higher. Like it was a historic earnings yeah. call. And yeah, I mean, I guess there was people who didn't know who NVIDIA was. I, I, I'm still surprised. But then again, I shouldn't be surprised. Like I'm still surprised people don't know who Demis Asabas is when I give mm. talks. And NVIDIA is one of those companies where you mention it and people are like, I don't know what that is. It's it's the sixth largest company in the world. Like they're the only companies bigger than them right now are Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and the Saudi state oil giant, Saudi Aramco. Mm. Um, but, and, and then, and then NVIDIA. So yeah, they gained like 200 billion in market cap this week. Um, the stock was up like 28% in, in aftermarket trading on Wednesday after the earnings call. So yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm not going to give investing advice to anybody. I, I, um, but people always ask me, like I get asked all the time, like, what, sh what AI stock should we invest in hmm. for years? I, I have touted in NVIDIA, like I'm been bullish on NVIDIA for a very long time. So if you don't know their history, basically they they were formed in the in the 90s and they built these powerful chips to largely they were used in in video gaming. Mm -hmm. So to you know be able to enable a lot of the more advanced capabilities of video games um, in the early late 90s, early 2000s. And then at some point they realized that the GPU chips they were using in video games could actually be used to power building of machine learning models. And so you know this the company's been around for Two, two decades plus, but it's just now like the generative AI craze sort of just like blew the, the door off in terms yeah. of the demand for these GPUs. So it doesn't appear that there's any slowdown coming. If anything, it's going to be in higher demand. And this is all these startups are racing to raise money so that they can buy GPUs from NVIDIA to, to power their AI. So yeah, just a fascinating company. And, um, I was very happy Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I own a lot of NVIDIA. <laughs> I've been buying NVIDIA for like seven years. So uh, it's definitely been one of the core companies when I, I, I redistributed my whole like investment strategy like seven years ago to invest in AI companies. The, because my feeling was all of these AI powerhouses were undervalued hmm. because I didn't feel like Wall Street or the business community as a whole investing community understood AI. And therefore, they were undervaluing the companies that had all the data, had all the hardware, had all the infrastructure to power it. And then once the world woke up to AI, all of these companies would blow up in terms of value. And that's exactly what's happened. So, um, but I would also say, like, I don't think people have missed the train. I mean, there's like seven to 10 companies in the world that are leading in AI and you can figure the, out who they are yourself. You want me to tell you what, what, which ones they are. So yeah, NVIDIA is a great company. I mean, they're, they're doing amazing stuff. It's beyond the chips. Like they're going to get into actually like building the models and they're going to become way more than just a chip company. They already are, but it'll be known as more than a chip company. Definitely one to watch. And I, for one, have whiplash from how many topics have happened. That's the most rapid fires we've ever on done. On Monday. So welcome back from your long holiday weekend. If you're listening to this on <laughs> Tuesday morning and now your brain is fried. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> As always, thanks for helping us cut through the noise here, Paul. The insights are invaluable to understanding what is going on this week in AI. So we really appreciate it. Good stuff. Nice curation. I know we left some stuff off the list, but yeah, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. Have a wonderful week and we will be back next week. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI. Thank you.